Hi, I'm Mike Burton of Star Wars Comics and Canon and Genuine Chit Chat, and I'm here to talk to you guys about a new monthly show that's coming out on Comics in Motion very soon. Now the show is going to be called the Comics in Motion Book Club, and it's specifically going to be tackling one-shots, mini-series, or small volumes of ongoing runs of comics. The idea behind it is a host as well as a handful of guests are going to sit down like an old school book club and talk about the comic, the narrative, their thoughts on it, the art style, and just generally all aspects of the comic in question. We would also love to hear from you guys on the show, so please make sure you send in your thoughts, your questions, or anything you'd like us to say on air, and you can contact us either on social media at comicsinmotionp, or you can email us at comicsinmotionpodcast at gmail.com. We're also going to have a rolling host, so it's going to be a different person each month, just so there's a nice big variety of the kind of comics that we tackle, and obviously the guests are going to change as well, so every month is going to be something different. I'm going to be the host of the first episode, and unsurprisingly, we are tackling a Star Wars comic. It's going to be the first volume of Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. It's the 2017 Darth Vader run, written by Charles Saul. We're going to be tackling issues 1-6 to six for the Chosen One arc, but the trade paperback collection is called The Imperial Machine. You can find this on Marvel Unlimited, and you can also find it on Hoopla, as well as you can buy it on Comixology and all the usual places that you find your comics. So with that all said guys, the countdown begins. Happy reading, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. Hello there, and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 59. So then guys, this week I am tackling the next batch of Dr. Afro comics from the 2016 run. We're on the penultimate volume, guys, so second to last volume of this batch. And this is tackling issues 32 to 36, is volume number 6, and the story arc is called Unspeakable Rebel Superweapon. So as standard, I'm going to go through the narrative, talk about connective tissue, and give a little bit of fun facts along the way. And so let's begin with the normal stuff. So issue 32 was released in May 2019, issue 36 was released in September 2019, and the trade paperback collection was released in December 2019. Now here's the fun part. Normally there's, you know, one writer, one or two artists and a colour artist. Uh, This is probably the most amount of individuals involved in five issues than I've ever seen. So let's get the list going. I have got them all in the description, so I'm just going to kind of run through them. Some are in it more or less, but I'm just going to be quite quick. So all of them are written by Simon Spurrier. Chris O'Halloran was the colour artist on all issues. Stefan Petru was also a colour artist on issues 32 to 34. And then all the people who are pencillers are Wilton Santos, Andrea Bracado, Casper Weingard, and Chris Bolson. And the inkers were Mark Deering, Walden Wong, Don Ho, and Scott Hanna. If you want the specific details of which issues they're involved with, they are in the description. And for clarity, all of these comics are set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. They're all after the 2015 Vader comics. And this is seemingly around a year after A New Hope. There's three years between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. This seems to be about a year afterwards, but there's no explicit confirmation. 
I also want to explain, guys, that this issue is probably the most story-heavy issue of Dr. Aphra that I've actually tackled. Obviously, I always recommend you guys read the comics, and this can be either your entry into Dr. Aphra. If you haven't got time to read all Dr. Aphra stuff, that's completely fine. But if you are reading through it and things, this is going to be one of those issues where, especially at the end, I'll give another spoiler warning, where it's all building towards something, and then the last issue kind of shows a lot of what's been going on. So this is one of the few issues where I have to say the story and the story is the main part of this you know there's no massive fight scenes or anything like that there's a lot of very very cool art in this but i want to pre-warn that if you are trying to go into afra with not knowing the full story details you may want to skip this episode because the last issue is all story related and stuff so just want to preface that before we head forward and just to clarify if you want to check out the previous episodes of dr afra they are episodes 55 51 46 42 36 and and 34, as well as the four batches of Darth Vader comics I've tackled as well. If you want, you can go on YouTube, the Genuine Chits Chat YouTube channel, and I've put all the Doctor Aphra episodes in their own little playlist, so you can go check that out if desired. But with that all said, guys, let's get into the crawl of the first issue, number 32. Rogue archaeologist Dr. Aphra has made a name for herself in all the wrong places as a thief, swindler, and obtainer of ancient artifacts. The deadlier and more valuable, the better. But she's also made quite a few enemies. The Rebellion, the Empire, Bounty Hunters, Murder Droids, Psychotic Doctors, and Force-Powered Sentient Fungus, to name a few. Though Aphra always manages to devise a scheme, upon scheme, upon scheme, that narrowly saves her skin, her antics have slapped a target on her back as big as the Death Star. So if you haven't listened to it, I would recommend going back and listening to episode 55, so it gives you a lot more context of what Aphra's backstory was in the previous arc. But just to give you a little reminder, Aphra was running around Milvain attached to triple zero via an explosive device in her neck. And... Dr. Cornelius Eversarm was controlling them, in essence, trying to, you know, make them fight each other and all these sorts of other things. And then the issue ends with Triple Zero and BT-1 leaving by themselves and leaving Aphra to herself. And Aphra got shot in the sort of stomach area by defending a young girl called Vulada or Vulada. I still am not 100% sure how to pronounce that, but it's V-U-L-A-A-D-A. So the issue ended with Aphra on the floor, bleeding out, and Vulada standing over her. And all of this was being broadcast to the planet of Milvain and the Empire saw it and that sort of thing. So lots of people saw her dive in front of this girl and get shot. And now a lot of people know that Aphra is alive after she's faked her death, I think twice now in canon that we know of. So that's where this issue really picks up. So let's get started. So issue 32 starts with a flashback of 20 years ago, and it's got Aphra looking at this hologram of a Jedi renegade called Uob the Apostate, and she's there with her dad, who was in, you know, earlier issues of Dr. Aphra. Now, Uob was a Gigoran, or Gigoran, and Gigorans were species, they were furry giants, they were similar to Wookiees in a lot of way. A lot of the time they had light fur and were white, they often had, like, vocoders on their mouths to basically translate because they couldn't speak Galactic Basic, but they could often understand it. Uh, they first were in Rogue One, they were one of Sorgera's partisans. The one who was one of Sorgera's partisans is called Moroff, so if you want to find out more about him, you can look him up. They also appear in Solo, A Star Wars Story, and then since their appearance in Rogue One, they have appeared elsewhere in the canon in quite a few comics and things. I think they've popped up in Aphra a couple times as well. They were in Legends a little bit, not that much, in like one or two things. They've been a lot more fleshed out, and there's a lot more appearances of them in the canon, which is cool. So back to Aphra and her dad. He is looking at Uob on these memory crystals, and Aphra is a very young girl right now, and she's just playing with them on the floor, and she cuts herself. 
Afra's mum comes down the stairs to what I assume is their basement and asks what's wrong. Afra confirms she cut herself. The mum is questioning the dad, saying, you know, Corinne, you're meant to be watching her. And the dad's like, but look, all these things I figured out, this could be the hyper jump that my research needs and things. And they're having like a back and forth and it evidences how obsessed Afra's dad is with history and making a name for himself and those things, which are all topics that are lightly touched upon in the early issues of Afra. Afra's mum also mentions that there are firing squads that would kill them if the censors hear about his research. So obviously the Empire has put a lot of propaganda out and also bans a lot of material. If you have like Jedi artifacts and things like that, unless you're exempt, then you will get punished for having that sort of stuff. Afra says to her mum, doesn't daddy care, I hurt myself. And I'm going to read out what Afra's mum says. Her name is Lonna. And I'm going to read out what she says because well, it's important. Of course he does, honey. He's just, he's busy. Listen, go back a few things, okay? You and me, we're, we're going to go on a trip. And don't be mad at him. Some people are just wired different. Obsessives, idealists, they think things are symbol when they're not. If they don't bring down trouble on themselves, they bring it down on everyone else. But you can't hate them for it, sweetie. Some of them you might even love. They just can't stop themselves. So Aphra's birth year is 24 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is when Rogue One and A New Hope take place. And these comics are set in the present day, about a year or so after A New Hope. So she was about four years old in those flashbacks. And it's also worth mentioning that her mum actually has the same electric tattoos that Aphra has. I can't find a real detailed explanation on what the electric tattoos do, if anything. There's mention at one point I think it was in the last Afro arc that her electric tattoos might be interfering with the torture device, which actually I think that was in the Catastrophe Con episode where she goes to a Kreska jail. So I think that's some sort of vague semblance there. I know that electric tattoos are out of style in air quotes. That gets mentioned once or twice in the Afro comics too. So I think they do have some vague amount of use, but it's not explicitly clear. But Afro's mum has them. So it cuts to now, and throughout this comic there are a lot of back and forths, just to warn you guys. So now it's got Afra and Vulada avoiding traps. Now, it's been two months since Afra was shot on Milvane, and Vulada is the girl who she kind of bonded with a little bit on Milvane, and she's the one who stood over her and actually saved her. It's confirmed that when Afra went off to do this job, Vulada actually stowed away in her ship. And Vulada's like, well, you're meant to be lying low, you know, everyone in the galaxy is after you. And Afra says, well, lying low is just boring. While this is all happening, they're like swinging over traps with like spikes coming out of the ground. There's these electric eel things that are getting them called electro gyres. There's lots of different things, including janitor droids. Now, I don't know what explicitly constitutes a janitor droid. I've tried looking it up and there's not an explicit explanation, but they're just droids and they've got guns for some reason. I would have assumed they had brooms or something, but still, Afra and Vulada are being shot at by these droids. They manage to hide in an air duct, and Afra shows Vulada a message. This message is from a mysterious person, a woman in a hood, who offers her 200,000 credits to try and obtain this artifact from the place that they're in. Afra then uses a slicing kit on one of the droids, and that droid then in turn destroys all of the other droids and walks through the rest of the shrine. I can't find mention of the shrine elsewhere, by the way, that's why I haven't named it. So as this droid is walking through in front of Afra and Vulada, it's triggering all the traps and things. Well, obviously it's a droid, so you get like poison darts shoot out the side and just bounce off its arms and that sort of thing. So there's quite a few cool panels where it shows that and then they get to where they need to be and there's this cape in the middle. The droid grabs the cape and then something shoots out the side and blows its head clean off. Afra grabs the cloak and then the alarms start going off. So it's got a cool montage of Afra and Vulada just running away. They're trying to talk about like what they think the value of this cape is and Afra's like, I have no idea. 
She says it might be like culturally valuable in like a disgusted tone, and Vlada comments that that's not a very archaeological view. And Avrobeki says, well, it's not encoded data, there's no spooky energy, and it's not a weapon. But the only reason I'm interested is it's worth 200,000 credits. And then Afra sees something. And the thing that Afra sees is the far killer of Uob, the apostate. So this is basically a weapon that was owned by this apostate. Now, an apostate is someone who leaves a religion. So this is a Jedi who left the religion and has a weapon that isn't a lightsaber. It's actually called the Far Killer. So I'm going to give you a little bit of information about it. It's a magnification attenuator. So it's lightsaber tech that's basically used in a sniper rifle. No one fully knows how it works, but Uob could kill targets from 100 clicks away. Now, a click in, I think it's in quite a lot of sci-fi movies and things. I feel like it's a real word term, but click just means kilometer. So from like hundreds of kilometers away, he can snipe someone and it's a pretty powerful gun. Uob was excommunicated for using it. So he was banned out of the Jedi Order for using this weapon. And the weapon is apparently worth millions. While Aphra is looking at it, the janitor droids kind of catch up and start shooting at them. Aphra and Vulada duck down. Then Aphra remembers some of the words that her mum said to her, mainly the part where it says, but you can't hate them for it. She tells Vulada to distract them and then runs. It then has another flashback and it shows that Afra's mum is taking Afra completely away from the dad. The dad doesn't really even notice. He's just like, oh, where have they gone? Oh, probably shopping or something. And then goes back to his work. Her mum also says to her that crying is weak and also tells her to not look back because it makes her look suspicious. And then it cuts back to now and it's got Vilada and Afra are on the Archangel, which is Afra's ship. Now, this is technically the Archangel 2 because the Archangel number one was destroyed in the Vader Down crossover event. I tackled that a little while ago, but basically there's a creature called Carbon who is a Mon Calamari, which is the same species as Admiral Akbar. So let's imagine Admiral Akbar's head on General Grievous's body. It's meant to be like General Grievous 2.0 and Afra crashes her Archangel straight into it. So that's why she's now got the Archangel 2. Vilada and Afra then have a conversation, Vilada mentioning that she's Afra's sort of ward. Afra gets quite agitated by that and starts yelling at Vilada. She then cries and goes to the back of the ship. Then goes back again to flashback, and this is now 18 years ago, so two years since her and her mum left. They're on a planet called Arbiflux, which is quoted as being in the outer, outer rim, so it's very far from the core worlds and is basically in the sticks. They're on this farm area and it's almost in like a desert. They're setting these traps, which are these special types of plants, and young Afra is getting agitated by them because she can't prime the chatter plants properly. Her mum is trying to be understanding, but tell her that people make mistakes and you've got to learn and those sort of things. Afra like turns around and has like a mini tantrum saying, oh, I hate your stupid pearls of wisdom and I hate it here. I hate they're so safe and predictable. I hate, and then she hears a noise. She turns around and sees that her mum has been shot in the back several times by raiders and has actually had part of her arm shot off. It's a pretty intense panel, and then it cuts back to now on the abandoned spice mine of Unox. Afra and Vulada walk up to Gertle, which is Vulada's sort of pet. It's a quaver worm. It's this big, quite scary looking thing. I detailed it in the previous volume of Afra Comics. And as that's happening, Afra is trying to apologize, saying that she has maternity issues when Vulada said about being her ward and things and that she's sorry, but then gets cut off because Vulada hears something and then calls out that there are rebels behind them. The rebels then chase down Afra, yelling to hand over the Jedi relic, calling her a thief and things, and then Afra recognises the noise and turns around, and it turns out to be Sister Six. Now Sister Six is a Zexto, someone with multiple arms, looks a little bit like a Kaminoan in some ways, and she actually first appeared in the Doctor Afra remastered story arc, which I tackled on episode 46 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. That was issues 14 to 19, and the end of it is that Sister Six joins up with the rebels. So Sister Six is a bit like, um, the boss thinks you're dead and that's not a good thing. And as the ship behind them starts to open up, the boss walks out and it turns out to be Captain Magna Tolvan. 
which everyone should know is Afra's on again, off again love interest. And the last time they interacted, Afra made Tolvin think that she murdered Afra in a crime of passion because there was something called the Boar Ifrium, which is the same species as Boar Gullet, which is in Rogue One. It's basically this big octopus thing that can put its tentacles on your brain and it can erase parts of your memories, it can create false ones, it can just turn your brain to mush. And Afra did that to Tolvin to save her from Vader because if Vader thought that Afra survived, then Vader would have killed and tortured Tolvin and then pursued Afra. So Afra did that and made Tolvin think she murdered Afra so that Vader, when he looked into her mind in a sense, would also think that. And Tolvin emerging and seeing Afra is where comic number 32 ends. So comic 33 starts with Tolvin realising the whole Bore Ifrim thing that I just explained and so she stuns Afra. It then shows a flashback to 19 years ago, and it was the first month that Afra is living on that farm place with her mum. A young Afra calls this chicken thing, which is a Nuna, evil, and her mum says there's no such thing as evil. Now, the Nuna, they're like birds, they're basically chickens in a sense, but they are not feathered primarily. Some are feathered, some aren't. You can see them in Naboo, in The Phantom Menace. They're in the Clone Wars a little bit. A lot of the food that you see in Star Wars when it's like a, it looks like a chicken or turkey drumstick sort of thing they're pretty much always nuna bird drumsticks and they're nicknamed swamp turkeys as well so a bit of fun fact for you so anyway on this planet arborflux young afra and her mum living on like basically a farm sort of thing and her mum tells her not to use the word evil and afra's like fine well it's not evil it's snappy and gross and stupid and i hate it and her mum's like well nobody's evil it's in their own heads now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the exchange they have. It's primarily the mum speaking because paraphrasing won't work that well in this. And I just think it's a really, really good bit of dialogue. It's, it's some of my favourite dialogue in all Star Wars comics, if I'm being completely honest with you. It's, it's a very intriguing perspective. So I'm just going to read it out. So after the mum says, nobody's evil, little boop, not in their own heads. And Aphra says, that's stupid. What about the Sith? They wouldn't call it the dark side and dress all spooky if they really thought they were the goodies. More of your father's simplistic nonsense. It's called the dark side of the Force because it's secretive, that's all. The Sith keep their knowledge and their identities hidden, in the dark, see? They thought it made it easier to impose order, which to them felt like the right thing to do. Look, the whole dumb history of the Jedi is just one purist shouting heretic at another and cherry-picking what counts as good or bad. See, this is the sort of stuff I should be learning, not stuck here getting pecked by evil birds. This sort of stuff never helped anyone, Little Boop. Not really. There are no goodies and baddies. There are just whoever's tough enough to be in charge of the story today. And even they're just waiting to be knocked over by the next fanatic in line. Idealists. Galaxies full of them. So busy being righteous, they don't see their ideals shifting. Yesterday's evil is tomorrow's good. Every line in the sand gets wiped out, just as soon as the ends justify the means. You know what I think? I think evil's just a measure of how much your choices take away other people's. But then aren't you a baddie for making me come here, where it's totally dull? Where it's safe? And yes, I guess I am. You see how the whole concept is kind of stupid? Ideals, righteousness, evil, all they're good for is making folks fight. I think all anyone can hope for, ultimately, is to do right by the people they love. And that's the end of the exchange. I thought it was quite nice. I'm not saying I agree with it necessarily, because obviously in Star Wars, the majority of stuff in canon to do with Sith is pretty damn evil. In the legend stuff, I think you can get a little bit more, uh, maybe. But at the end of the day, it is evil in my view. Obviously, the reason that Luke has called it the dark side of the Force and that sort of thing is to clearly tell the audience it is evil. But it is very interesting, that sort of perspective. And it is kind of linking in, because that was 19 years ago, I think that would only have been a year or two after the Empire took over, so after Revenge of the Sith. So obviously, 
Lona Afra, Afra's mum, she would have known about the Jedi and the fall of the Jedi and things, and a lot of the public disliked the Jedi by the end of the Clone Wars and whatnot, which made Palpatine's rise to power that much easier, because, you know, the Jedi were starting to do things that, like, there's a book called Dark Disciple, and they try to plot to assassinate Count Dooku. Now, I'm not saying in war you shouldn't do that, but that isn't a very light side, only using force in defense sort of thing that the Jedi try and preach. So there is hypocrisy in the Jedi, although I do still think that generally speaking, they are still good, even if they are misguided. But yeah, I just want to read that bit just because I thought it was really cool. So then it comes back to present day, where Afra awakens and Tolvin's there, as well as General Kraken and TZ2. So in brief, General Kraken's first name is Aaron Kraken. He was an unnamed rebel on the Millennium Falcon in Return of the Jedi, and then he got named in a Legends sourcebook. Then, in the canon, the name got kept. Uh, he did briefly appear in the Han Solo comics, as well as the Leia book Moving Target, which is like a young reader book, and obviously he's in this as well. Now, TZ2 is a protocol droid, but he's an RA7 protocol droid, which is different to what C-3PO is. So, nicknamed Insect Droids, or also known as Death Star Droids, AP5 from Star Wars Rebels is an RA7 protocol droid, so if anyone's seen Rebels, that's what you know about. And if you remember in A New Hope, when there's protocol droids on the Death Star that don't look like C-3PO, that have bug eyes, that's basically what an RA7 protocol droid is. They're in the Clone Wars a little bit, but then once the Empire takes over, they are made specifically for the Empire. And I note this online, they are often used as spies and could even be armed with a blaster rifle. And to clarify C-3PO, he's a 3PO protocol droid. So a little bit of fun facts about the different protocol droids there are. Anyway, continuing with the story, so I said Afra wakes up, Kraken, TZ2, and Tolvin are there. They go for her staff, obviously they've got the weapon, the far killer, and Tolvin finds the lightsaber that Afra used in a Kreska jail. Now, the lightsaber itself doesn't work anymore because the inner workings are broken, but the kyber crystal's still in there. Tolvin takes that out and then puts it in the artifact, which is far killer, because it's powered by lightsaber tech. It's confirmed the Rebels removed the neck bomb that Afra had in her as well, and the way they actually found Afra was because the Imperials are searching for her, and so Imperial chatter that they get access to, they can hear all about Afra and whatnot. And the place that Afra stole the artifact from was a place called Slilani, and they are actually making an alliance with the Empire just to get Afra. It's also confirmed that Tolvin made a squad to stop double agents and assassinations, so it's just confirming that she's basically being an inspector now, but for the rebels, but trying to spot who in the rebels is actually an imperial spy. Afra walks around where the rebels are and sees that Mon Mothma is there, um, because what they have to do is keep moving her because she's like one of the number one targets for assassination, and she is one of the main figureheads of the rebellion, especially as this is post New Hope. I'm not exactly sure where it is regarding the whole Makotar thing, which is the thing I tackled on the recent episode of Star Wars, the main run, but Mon Mothma is a big value target. Bail Organa also was, but he was an old run when it blew up, so yeah, there aren't that many big figureheads that are like officials who are in charge of the rebellion, and Mon Mothma is one of them. It's also confirmed when Afra left the Imperial Data back with Hiras and Dula in the Catastrophe Con episode, which was I did, I think, episode 51, she left loads of Imperial secrets with the Rebels and they needed encryption and she demanded some money for it. The Rebels managed to crack the encryption, but all of the information was time sensitive, so it's basically useless to them. So it's confirmed that the way they know about the artifacts and the history of Farkiller and things like that is because TZ managed to find Afra's dad's research from all those years ago. While this is happening, Tolvin found some nearby Imperials in a sort of base. There's some stormtroopers in there, and also what they call plane coats, which I assume is civilians, but it could just be Imperial collaborators. But regardless, she's told to shoot the whole building. So she has the far killer with a kyber crystal in there. She shoots it, and the entire building is 
just decimates it. It completely blows up. It's a massively powerful weapon. And so Kraken wants Aphra to help the Rebellion make a weapon to be able to kill Palpatine with. Because as I said about Mon Mothma, moving her so constantly is difficult. And so they said, you know, trying to do an assassination on Palpatine, if they can actually get it right, that would just be a game changer in the war. But Palpatine encourages people within the Empire to try and kill him and to try and be quite cutthroat within the Empire because he views its people becoming stronger. And he can actually sense people's intentions when they're in front of him. So no one would actually really be able to assassinate him because if they go into the room he's in, thinking they're going to assassinate him, he will already know it and then he will kill them. So Kraken is looking to make a mini Death Star. So he'd be able to shoot wherever Palpatine is from like half the galaxy away, which is pretty intense. He comments on the fact that they stole the Death Star plans and, you know, it'd be worth using them rather than letting them go to waste after the events of A New Hope. Aphra is sceptical that they would actually do this. She said that you need a lot of guts to do that sort of thing, as well as time and valuable resources, which they don't seem to have. And Kraken mentions that Mothma wouldn't actually agree to that, so it needs to be kept on the down low. And this comic ends with Tolvin inspecting the area where the Imperials were after she blew it all up, and through the wreckage she managed to salvage some stuff that shows that the Imperials were actually after Aphra, which is why they got drawn there. So Kraken, as I said, wants Aphra's help, and Aphra's just like, no, and leaves with Vulada. So, on to issue number 34. It starts off with a nice little montage with Aphra and her mum on their time on Arborflux, and then it shows that Aphra is telling Vulada all about that sort of things while they're at Aphra's old homestead. Vulada asks about joining the Rebellion, that they could scam them and things, but Aphra calls them purists, and says that she's still awaiting a call from the buyer of in the first issue from that cloak they stole. Aphra mentions that it's safe there, and then Vulada asks if it's so safe, then why did she ever leave? And Aphra says, just go to sleep. It then goes back to the flashback with Aphra and her mum, and it shows the raiders are charging at Aphra and her mum, and her mum says to her, Chelly, grab the blaster and pull yourself together and run. And then it shows Aphra waking up from basically a nightmare or a flashback, however you want to call it, and as she awakens, a transmission comes in from the rebels. It turns out they intercepted some Imperial chatter, and the Empire are in pursuit of Aphra, and they are on their way probably quite close. And they also confirm that the Imperials are going to be overly cautious about it, so they're probably going to do it in a more quiet way, because of their cell being taken out by Tolvin in the last issue. It shows that three bounty hunters are there. There's a droid, a herglick, and a black-coated Wookiee. Now, herglicks are actually not in the canon that much. They look a little bit like whale people. It kind of looks like a fish person almost, but their face is a lot more whale-like, I guess. They're not in that many canon appearances. There's, they're in Star Wars issue 61, Aphra issue 34, which obviously this one. They're mentioned in Aftermath and Aftermath Empire's End. And aside from that, they actually first appeared in a Star Wars Insider short story comic. They are more prevalent in Legends, but once again, there's not like a huge, huge amount of them, but they are in a few more things in Legends than they are in Canon. But yeah, they're kind of like whale people in a sense. They're quite big and quite muscular, and they've got blowholes and things. And also, they were one of the main species that got targeted by the Empire for mistreatment, uh, because the Empire is heavily racist in a sense of the Empire believes that humans are the ultimate race in a sense, which is why it was so peculiar for Thrawn to go up in the ranks, you know, the Chiss, and also why you don't really see Stormtroopers or Imperial officers of any species aside from human because Palpatine was a racist and obviously that's meant to mirror the whole Nazism thing with the Empire but I'm not going to go into that now but yeah Herglicks they were very mistreated by the Empire you don't get to see them very often and they were in canon and legends a bit so I mentioned of the three bounty hunters obviously one was a Herglick one was a droid and the other one was a black coated Wookiee I wonder who that could be 
So Afra and Vulada run away. Gertor attacks them, which is the Quabo worm that Vulada has. And Gertor gets thrown back at Afra and Vulada. Doesn't hit them, but Gertor is hurt. And it shows that the Wookiee, unsurprisingly, is Black Chrysanthemum. If you don't recognise that name, either check out the Journals of Old Ben Kenobi comics, which are amidst the main run of Star Wars comics that you can get a trade paperback collection of them, or just read basically any or most of the Afro comics, he's in there. He's a Wookiee, so like Chewbacca is, but he's black-coated and he actually got kicked out of his clan and is a bounty hunter because he's very ruthless. I go into more detail about his backstory, how he got his scars, etc, etc, in previous episodes, so go check those out. Then Black Chrysanthemum is attacking the other mercenaries, and Black Chrysanthemum approaches Aphra, grabs her by the throat and lifts her up, and then Aphra says about the valuable relic they've got and that she'll finally be able to pay him back, and he pops her down and seems very happy. Because Aphra owes BK a lot of money. I am probably going to call him BK from now on because it's just a little bit easier to say than Black Chrysanthemum. And as he puts Aphra down, some stormtroopers approach. And then flashes back to Afra and her mum. Her mum is critically wounded. They are now in the forest. Afra is shooting a blaster at the raiders that are attacking them. And then her mum starts to pass out on the floor just after calling someone who's going to help. Because her mum's final words are, you can't be expected to survive alone. Back in the present, Vilada is riding Gertel and Afra is riding BK. So it's quite fun to watch a, a Wookiee giving Afra a piggyback. And Vilada asks why they're being shot at. And Afra confirms that BK and Vulada are now associates of Afra, so that means they are also targets. Later on, they are safe on the Archangel, Afra's ship, and BK confirms that Vor hired him, and Vor is a propaganda minister for the Imperials, and it shows that she was actually the same person who hired Afra for her job of stealing the cloak in the first place for those 200,000 credits, and is the person who is no longer answering. The Archangel has got off the planet of Arborflux and is now in space. They're being pursued by TIE fighters, but Aphra does manage to fly her ship away and jump to hyperspace. Goes back to the flashback and it shows that Aphra's mum is dead and some Imperials come and actually save Aphra. The Imperials took out the pirates and then they're going to save Aphra and take her back to somewhere safe and they're going to send her back to her father. And in present day, it shows that Afra and the Archangel, along with BK and Vilada, all managed to get to where the rebels were. And they speak to them, and Gertel comes out, because Gertel somehow managed to fit on the Archangel. And the rebels want Afra to reverse engineer the relic, so to help them make that super weapon. TZ2 takes Afra to the lab, and BK is outside in a spacesuit, floating by. It's confirmed that the rebels don't really trust Afra, and TZ mentions that she put two hijack units on him, trying to hijack his droid brain. They managed to find them and things, but Afra says, uh, actually, I had three. And then TZ is then under Afra's control. She asks him to access the security systems and to not make a scene. Says to loop the external sensor and things, seal the lab, and while TZ is doing this, he manages to ask, why are you doing this? And Afra confirms that she's actually stealing her gun back, the far killer. And while this is happening, BK is deploying the Hull Cutters. Afra's reasoning is she's going to steal the gun and give it to the Imperials so she can clear her name and get herself safety. Or immunity. And the last panels show someone sneaking behind Afra, and then Tolvin grabs her and puts a knife to her throat. Which is where Comic 34 ends. So on to issue number 35, the penultimate issue of this story arc. Tolvin is holding Afra at knife point. Afra gives her a breather mask and tells her, what are you doing? And then Black Chrysanthemum breaks in using a hole cutter and then a vacuum sucks all the air out. 
Tolvin and Black Chrysanthemum then are tussling, and Tolvin manages to hold a knife to Black Chrysanthemum's throat, or rather what the mask that he's wearing, and Afra shows a hologram to Tolvin of the Rebel's superweapon. Tolvin is still unconvinced, but then Afra says that thousands will die if she doesn't help them. Tolvin then says that Afra will need to injure her to make it look good, and she also gives her an Imperial ident. So Afra calls Vulada and says to leave Gertle, the giant Quaborn there, who's causing a distraction at the moment. Afra says that you have to let go of things that are not in the big picture. Tolvin tells Afra that she loves her. Afra says, I know, which is a nice little throwback to Empire Strikes Back. Tolvin then says that she hates Dr. Afra, and then Black Chrysanthemum knocks out Tolvin. Vulada is in a shuttle, manages to grab Black Chrysanthemum and Afra, but Vulada is crying, so obviously leaving back Gertle, which is a very good friend of hers and kind of like a pet. And then it does another flashback. It's got Afra when she was young, just after her mum was killed and things. She's been escorted by the stormtroopers to a nearby shuttle, and the Imperials tell Afra to leave the planet, saying that those raiders have become quite a nuisance, and that the natives have formally invited the Empire to intervene, mentioning that there will be some losses of personal freedom, but of course, well, one has to let go of things that don't fit in the big picture, which obviously is exactly what Afra just said to Vulada regarding Gertle. Then back at present day, Afra sends a message to all Imperials using that ident that Tolvin gave her. So it goes to every command channel, so it goes to every Imperial officer who's higher up than a stormtrooper, basically. She's offering herself and the super weapon for a deal, and she asks how the Imperials are going to proceed. Are they going to reward her for helping the Empire? Are they going to attack her and lose everything? And it shows that Vader also sees this transmission. Afra then lands at a nearby Imperial facility, gives herself up, and Vader commands one of the officers via hologram to execute Afra before she says anything, but then before he can continue anything else he was saying, the transmission gets jammed. Parade music starts playing, and an Imperial shuttle then lands, and Patina Vor appears, who is that Imperial propaganda minister who hired BK and also hired Afra for that heist of the cloak thing right at the start. She appears, she takes Afra, Vulada, and Black Chrysanthemum, and then it shows a day later that Vor wants Afra to talk. She starts recording with some floating droids and things, walking Afra around, saying, you know, how great it is what she's done, and that you did it out of the kindness of your heart, and that you know that it's, you know, a selfless thing without coercion or compulsion. You know, you've foiled a threat against the Empire and the Emperor's holy person, you know, all the propagandary sort of stuff. And while she's doing that, she actually shows Afra the Gallery of Peace. Now, the Gallery of Peace, this is one of the things I've actually taken a photo of, and it's currently on Patreon at the moment. If anyone is a Patreon supporter, you can go there, check that out. But if you're not, you can check it out on Instagram, Facebook, and maybe Twitter. I might pop that photo up there. Obviously, Twitter, you can only do four photos at once. So Instagram and Facebook are normally the best places you guys can go to check out. Obviously, every episode I release of Star Wars Comics and Canon, I take photos, normally of each cover of the comics, the crawl, and then normally a couple of others are cool things that are within the comics. And so I specifically took a photo of the Gallery of Peace because if you're listening to this and you haven't read the Afro comic and you don't intend to, I would recommend you check this out because the, the Gallery of Peace is a really cool thing. So a couple of things that you can actually see in the Gallery of Peace. You can see a skeleton of the Reek. Now a Reek is, it's kind of like that Rhino thing, it's in Attack of the Clones when Obi-Wan, Anakin and Padme are in the Colosseum on Geonosis and the three monsters attack them, the Nexu, the Atkle and the Reek. The Atkle is the big giant praying mantis sort of thing. The Nexu is like the hyena dog cat thing that attacks Padme and the Reek is the Rhino thing that attacks Anakin. So it's like a Rhino-ish sort of skeleton. There's also a Calicori as well. Anyone who's seen Star Wars Rebels will know that a Calicori is a Twi'lek or Twi'lek heirloom. So Twi'leks are the people with tentacles coming out the top of their head, the Leku, and 
Harrison Dula is probably the most famous Twi'lek I can think of. And you actually get to see Harrison Dula's family's Calicori. It's a wooden totem. It's passed between generations and each generation adds a little thing to it. It's not worth any money really, but the cultural significance and the sentimental value is huge. There's also what seems to be clone armor in there and like a droid body. There's a few other bits and pieces there, but the other thing I wanted to mention specifically was there's a helmet that looks a lot like Darth Krayt's sort of helmet mask. Now, Darth Krayt is a character from Legends. I'm not going to go into the history of Darth Krayt, but either you know about Darth Krayt or you don't. If you don't, look him up. He's quite cool. But what's interesting, actually, is that this mask is not exclusively used by Darth Krayt because in the canon, and I want to clarify, Darth Krayt currently isn't canon. So in the canon, there's actually a character from the Star Wars The High Republic Adventures comics so they're produced by IDW and it is still canon and whatnot but IDW generally do things for a slightly younger audience you've got the Star Wars Adventures line which is generally anthology stories about certain characters aimed for younger viewers and there's also the Star Wars High Republic Adventures so with the High Republic at the moment you've got the books coming out and you've also got the main comic series and you've got the Adventures ones as well I am reading the Adventures ones they are quite cool and there is a character in there called court and this young it's like a padawan has one of these masks so it's quite interesting so take that as you would whichever you'd like i think because of when this came out there wasn't star wars high republic adventures because this came out sort of august 2019 and the high republic only really got fully announced in sort of 2020 sort of time so i'm pretty certain that this was meant to be a little nod to darth crate's mask but as i said in the canon the only other one is court so you can choose whichever one you think Think would fit better. So anyway, back to the story. You've got Vor walking around with Afra and Vulada, and the whole gallery of peace, what it is, is it's just a gallery of imperial triumph but it's special because each piece represents a world saved by its own request so victories won without conquest so they didn't have to go to war to beat these planets they just basically surrendered to the will of the empire and then gave the empire in air quotes gave the empire some sort of important artifact to do with their people and that's what the gallery of peace is and I personally think what would be a really cool anthology series is kind of a little bit like how Galaxy's Edge works, the, the anthology series that I tackled a little while ago on this, is I would love to have like a gallery of peace and it's like, you know, five part mini series or something. And each comic details where the piece came from. That'd be quite cool. Just like different pieces that aren't the ones shown in this little screenshot. It would just be quite cool to see that sort of thing. But, you know, I would love just to have almost like a VR experience where you can just go around this imperial gallery and just see all these things. And then maybe when you touch them, you get to see like a five minute like video of how they got it. I think that'd be a really cool idea. But then as I said, that's basically what Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities is like, and that's a Black Spy Outpost, which is a Galaxy's Edge. So you can go into, when you go to Galaxy's Edge in Disney World, that is essentially what it is, and the Galaxy's Edge anthology miniseries comic that I tackled goes into all those details. And to clarify, if you are interested in listening to me talk about the Galaxy's Edge miniseries, that was episode 20 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. So Vor then confirms to Afra that Palpatine wants to inspect the weapon personally. And then Vor asks what reward Afra says, and they're still being recorded at this point. Afra says that there's none, you know, doing it for the Empire was worth it. Then the recording stops, and Vor says, thanks for doing that. Now, what do you really want? Afra confirms that she wants a pardon, wants Black Chrysanthemum to be paid for all the debt that she owes him, and then she also wants answers. And then this comic ends with Vor explaining that she's been watching Afra quite a lot and that she actually wants to overthrow Palpatine. 
So we move on to the final issue, number 36, which is the fifth part of this story arc. And I just want to clarify again, I did say at the start, this is very, very spoilerific. I know most of the time I give, you know, the plot points and tell you guys what's going on story-wise, which could be considered a spoiler in certain ways. But most of the time, there's lots of other stuff going on. You know, there's fights and space battles and things. And I obviously don't read out all the dialogue and whatnot. So there's a lot of other things to enjoy. Now, although this comic run is really good, there's some incredible art in it, some really good visuals and... And there's a lot of backstory with Afra that I haven't really delved into, conversations with her mum and things. They're all very interesting. But I want to clarify that this whole story arc is all a build-up to this final issue. So I am just pre-warning that if you are planning on reading this and you don't want it to be like properly spoiled, because this last issue is basically just exposition and plot. So just want to preface that before you guys go ahead. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. So issue 36 starts with Vor's backstory. Essentially, she was a princess of some sort, was forced to marry someone, and this person was just a yes man who worked for the Empire, and then she basically managed to manipulate things, and he killed himself, which is quite brutal. She made him think that Vader was after him, so he killed himself instead of being gotten by Vader, which is quite bad, and she says that was like her first taste of true manipulation. And this is, as I said, an exposition dump. She confirms that it costs the Empire thousands of troops and billions of credits for every world that they conquer, so she creates three tenants for the Empire to run with. The first one is the Face of Chaos, so essentially pirates, mobsters, raiders, monsters, all these sorts of things. She confirms that most of these things are actually invented for the dumb natives. So the Empire basically goes to a planet they see that they want. They then either give loads of money to raiders or they create them, in air quotes. They make people do it. And then the raiders or pirates or whatever terrorize an area. And then the natives are desperate to be helped. So they call out to the Empire. The Empire go in, get rid of the thing that they actually planted, and then take over the planet. Then the second tenet is that the perfect world of order. So in essence, what they do is once they've then taken over the world, they will then post a lot of propaganda about how the world is doing so much better now, how all the people are so much happier and all these sorts of other things, even though the majority of the time that is not the case. And then the third tenet is quietly shed a tear for those who say no. So in essence, if someone says no, you just quietly dispose of them and forcibly kill them and there you go. That's how you solve the problem and save lots of money. She confirms that two-thirds of conflicts are actually resolved without a single shot fired. So just by manipulation and doing these sorts of things, the Empire is getting more and more powerful and that's how they got a stronghold in so many worlds so quickly. Vor says that she actually saved the regime and that Palpatine is actually ruining everything. Now there is some very cool artwork in this issue and that whole tenant thing, that was the footnote version. There's a really cool double page spread about her explaining the tenants and things, but as I said, I'm just trying to give you guys the footnotes where I'll be here all day. So anyway, she says about Palpatine is ruining everything and that no one volunteers to worship him because no one wants to embrace a saviour whose only joy is watching his pet cyborg snap throats. She says that their beloved emperor isn't, uh, lovable. And a line that she says I think is quite funny is, he won't appear in public, won't smile for the camera, and if he tried kissing a baby, I'd worry for its life. And to be fair, that is not unfounded. And so she finishes this monologue thing by saying that Palpatine has got to go. Vor then does another monologue and confirms her whole plan to overthrow Palpatine. So she's organised allies within the Empire to do a coup, and that in her mind, if she rose to power and she became the Emperor, then it would be beneficial to not only her, but it would also benefit everyone else. And also Palpatine hasn't got any suspicions about this specifically, because as confirmed prior in this, he actually allows people in his ranks to backstab and try and overthrow him and things, so nothing really seems out of order there to him. 
Vaughan then says that Afra is predictable. She seeks out enrichment, betrays the person she's with, and then feels guilty about it. And she also confirms that the rebels are also very predictable. So Vor has been leaking information to the rebels about Dr. Afra, about her having the far killer weapon, and the rebels already know what Afra is like. In fact, Vor says that Afra is so predictable that even the rebels know how predictable she is. So they knew she would do anything just to save her own skin, and that she always has some sort of entanglement of the heart. And she says, so what do they predict? And Vulada cuts in and goes, so you're saying they took the rifle from us and let us steal it back from them? And then Afra comments saying, there was never a rebel superweapon, Vu. Vor confirms that if the rebels did even have the resources to be able to build a Death Star, and they definitely do not, they wouldn't go around that route anyway, because they want to save people's minds and their hearts and things. They don't want to exterminate innocents no matter what. So the superweapon thing was never going to work, especially because superweapons also very bad PR, public relations. So they pretended to have a conspiracy within their own ranks just to manipulate Afra. And Vors also comments, she says, Tell me, your lover, the turncoat. One last moment of connection. Did she really sell the lie between you? And Afra looks to the side. And Vors says, She helped the rebels use you, never suspecting that I was actually using them. And she also confirms that the shuttle will be here by now with that weapon on it. So she says the rebels obviously won't be able to resist the bait. So the rebels have clearly put some sort of bomb or trap within the far killer gun itself. And then when Palpatine inspects the relic itself, then he'll touch it, it'll have been tampered in some way, and then it will likely explode, killing him. Afra then comments that it's unlikely to be a bomb in that relic. It's more likely to be some sort of iron pulse or a stun bomb or something, just to knock out everyone in the room. And Vor is like, well, that wouldn't change a thing. And Afra's like, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, if Palpy is a comatose or corpse or whatever, because once he's incapacitated in some way, then the throne is up for grabs. So then Afra starts to monologue now. So Afra says, obviously, if they did use an iron pulse or whatever to incapacitate Palpatine in some way, that disruption would allow the rebel fleet to then attack and take the throne. Now, if they did that, Vor obviously has a plan to then ambush the rebels. So then Vor would then be able to take all the glory. They'd be able to squash the rebels, take out Palpatine, and then she would be the person who's on top. And Vor's like, well, how, how did you know this plan? And Afra said, well, the plan didn't really make sense. I mean, the rebels were never going to make a super weapon. And also, Tolvin let Afra go far too easily. So Afra knew that the rebels were using her, and clearly now it was that Vor was also using her. So she just let them all use her, so they thought their plans were going ahead as planned. And Vor says, well, why'd you let me do it in the first place? And she says, well, if you aren't going to use us, you're going to use someone else anyway. So at least this way, I'm going to get some sort of pardon from the Emperor. Afra then says, well, I'm so predictable. How did you know I didn't just pick up the Jedi relic and just run? And Vor says, well, I thought you would have done that until you did the one thing I didn't predict. And she shows the video footage of Afra jumping in the way of a blaster bolt that was going to hit Vulada from the previous batch of Afra comics. So she said, clearly, you're getting sentimental in some way. And Afra would know of the Empire going fully after her. It would go after her, her friends, her ward, her lover, all of those things. And because she's becoming so sentimental, she sold herself out just to try and save them. And then Afra makes some remarks about what her mum told her, and they were like a little back and forth about that. But then Afra says, but that's why your plan failed. And Vor's like, what do you mean? And so Afra said, okay, my turn with the predictions. So at this precise moment, Palpatine is being hustled off to some sort of impenetrable vault, and he's just going to stay there and be safe. While that's happening, all of her co-conspirators, as in Vor's co-conspirators, are all being rounded up, and obviously only one of them needs to talk, and then once that happens, everyone involved will then come to light. The relic itself? Well, the Empire probably wouldn't even want the relic, so it wouldn't be surprising if the Empire just shot the shuttle straight out of the sky that had the relic on there so no one could have it. 
And the rebels aren't going to show up at all either because they know they're being played. How might you ask? Well, because they're seeing it right now, along with everyone else. In other words, Minister, smile for the camera. The galaxy is watching. And Vor's like, what are you talking about? I stopped the recording of that camera droid ages ago. And Afa's like, well, you did, but I hijacked your camera before your monologue started. I may have been searched, but the slicing kit I hid in the cloak of the Wookiee, because no one ever searches the Wookiee. And Vor's like, but you said you didn't care. Why would you do this if you actually didn't care about any of these things? And Afra says, all of this clever crap. All you people were thinking you could guess which way I was going to jump, and it all got undone by a piece of museum junk. You were so busy gloating that you didn't even realise what you were showing me. How did you put it? The pirates, the raiders, the mobsters, and the monsters. Some are real, most we invent. Anything to make the dumb natives beg for a garrison to save them. You killed my mum. And so it shows that the raiders, from the flashbacks in this, were literally just there so the Empire could take over the world of Arbiflux just for their own gain. So Aphra's mum was killed just so the Empire could get more of a stronghold on the planet. And Vor starts to sort of freak out. She says, so you did it all for revenge for one pointless nobody? You'd throw away the chance for a bold new galaxy on her? And Aphra yells back, yeah, you didn't predict that, did you? Vilada's looking a bit scared now, and Afra says, look, don't worry, we just stay in front of the camera. We saved the Emperor, we're heroes, nobody's going to hurt us as long as we stay in front of the... And before she can finish, she hears a vroom noise, and you see in the background a red slash, and then the head of Vor flick off. Vilada turns behind her and says, Afra, that's... And Afra just says, shh, just close your eyes, don't look. And they sit on the floor, and Afra is hugging Vilada. And then the final panels show a figure saying, Dr. Afra, arise. The Empire has need of you. And who's standing there? It's Darth Vader. And that is where that comic and the story arc ends. So there you go, guys. It's a really, really quite Afra story. Obviously, I did warn that end. It's That was like the footnotes version. There's more information. There's some really cool panels and things. And there's a lot of details about the workings of the Empire and you know more flashbacky stuff of Afra and her mum. But I wanted to give you as much information as I could so it made coherent sense. And so, you know, as I always say with this show, I want it to be, if you've read the Afra comics or whatever, you get the connective tissue and a reminder of the general story. But if you've never read the comics, you get an understanding of the overarching story and a lot of the key elements and things. But I do recommend if you haven't read the Afro comics, seriously check them out. They are on Marvel Unlimited if you guys have access to that. And they are just, they're a lot of fun. And as I said, one of the best things about Afra is the weirdness and also the snappy dialogue. I know I, it sounded like I read out quite a few things in here. And I think I read three or four sort of parts of the story arc. But there is a huge amount of really cool and clever dialogue that I didn't even go near. So as I said, I always recommend people check out the comics because, you know, supporting the creators and they're a lot of fun too. So guys, I will be tackling the final batch of Afro comics in about four weeks time. And that will be, it's a rogue's end. And that's going to be issues 37 to 40. But what have we got coming up then? Well, next week is War of the Bounty Hunters. I'll get into that in a little moment. Uh, the week after that, so episode 61, that's going to be volume 11 of the main run of Star Wars comics. And that's going to be called The Scourging of Shu Run. That is the second to last story arc of the main run of Star Wars comics from the 2015 run. And then I think the week after that, which will be episode number 62, I'm going to tackle the Darth Vader comics from 2017. So it's the second batch of Darth Vader comics, and they're written by Charles Saul. Now, War of the Bounty Hunters, which is what I'm doing next week for episode number 60. 
Now, I did talk about this a little bit, at, well, a little bit. I spoke about this quite a bit at the end of the last episode, and I'm going to do it again here to some degree. I'll try not to waffle too much. But in essence, there's a big crossover event. It's going to cover 34 issues. It's going to run for about five months, and it's going to be going for the four ongoing Star Wars comics. So you've got the main run of Star Wars. You've got the main run of Darth Vader, Dr. Aphra, and then Bounty Hunters. Aphra's on the second run, Star Wars is on the second run, Vader's on the third run, and Bounty Hunters is on the first run. Now, all of those stories, all of those runs take place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which there's about a year between those. And obviously the first run of Aphra, Vader, and Star Wars were all taking place between Episode 4 and Episode 5. So, War of the Bounty Hunters is a big crossover event, and there's also a mini-series called War of the Bounty Hunters that there's five issues of, plus, well, technically six issues, but that mini-series mixes with all of the other Star Wars things I just mentioned and culminates to one big story. And it's all about basically the galaxy squabbling over Han Solo's carbonite corpse. So when Boba Fett takes it to Jabba in episode 6, or rather in episode 6, it's already at Jabba's palace, it was because the bounty for Han Solo was an absolutely colossal amount, because obviously he owed Jabba since slightly before A New Hope. So he's owed Jabba money for about four years and hasn't paid him back. So the bounty's just been increasing more and more. Obviously, Han then killed Greedo in the Mos Eisley Cantina. That was right near the start of it. And obviously along the way, Han Solo has gone against several other people who are trying to get him so with all of that in mind there's just this big it's called war of the bounty hunters because everyone is trying to get han solo but this crossover event i'm tackling it now because i want to try and tackle these as they come out and i want to preface this and say to you guys it might get a tiny bit confusing if you guys aren't reading along any of the other comics and things and you're just listening to this show and you've not read any star wars comics to clarify war of the bounty hunters is set after the Afro run is finished, after the first Star Wars run is finished, obviously after the Darth Vader run is finished as well. But in addition to that, each of those second runs of things and the third run of Darth Vader, they all have one or two story arcs set before War of the Bounty Hunters. Now, the only reason is, is that if I... I looked. I worked it out, and it would basically take me several months to catch up to where they are right now. And by then, War of the Bounty Hunters will probably be over. Or if I started the first batch of War of the Bounty Hunters when the last one is coming out, that may cause some confusion there as well. So each month, I'm going to be doing the War of the Bounty Hunters batch. And each month, there's one, which is the War of the Bounty Hunters main series. Then there's the four ongoing main series of things. And then on from the third fourth fifth and i think six months of it there's also going to be like an extra one-off issue i think one is jabba one is boosh one is igata and one i think is fall and zuckers so i've posted about that on social media a little bit but i just want to clarify if you tune in next week i will preface it and i'll make it a lot more coherent when i talk about it next week when you tune in they are going to be stories set after empire strikes back yeah, I just want to clarify that to you guys. I'm very excited to tackle the War of the Bounty Hunters thing because it's a really big crossover event and there's so many connections to loads of other content and whatnot and it's just a lot of fun. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week. This is going to be pretty close to the release dates. So if anyone is intending on reading the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff, it is going to get somewhat spoiled for you. But, you know, a lot of people I think I've spoken with have said there's 34 issues all in all of this entire crossover event and most people either can't afford that don't want to or just flatly can't be asked so i'm tackling them on this show obviously things are going to be on youtube and all that jazz as well but i want to preface that for you guys too 
I also want to clarify, if anyone wants to go to patreon.com slash genuinechitchat, which is the name of my other show, um, I post photos of Star Wars comics and canon comics, normally on Thursdays, um, so you get a couple days beforehand before I release this show. And I've also got, there's an afterthought show that me and Megan do, but there's free stuff on there as well. If you go on there right now, you can listen to me and Megan talk about The Witcher Season 1 for about 10 minutes, and it's spoiler-free. And we also talk about Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I think the episode's about 20 minutes long, and that's completely free as well. We release an Afterthoughts episodes once or twice a week. And also, if you are a listener to Genuine Chit Chat, you know that I release episodes that are quite long in part one and part two. On Patreon, you can get access to the full unsplit episode when part one drops. So at the moment of recording this, the pop punk episode that I've done with the band Royals, part one dropped last week. Part two is dropping the day after this episode drops, but any Patreon listeners got access to all of it when it first came out. So if you want to support the show, you can do it for as little as £1 a month. If you do £1 a month, you get access just to the Patreon feed, as in the podcast Patreon feed. You get the RSS link. You pop that into wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's any podcast app and things. And then it will just be the feed on there. We'll have all of the Afterthoughts episodes, as well as all of the Genuine Chit episodes I've done over the last few months that I've released as unsplit larger versions and I also pop a few other things in there if I record an episode early I'll pop it in there I am planning on doing an Into the Dark review as well, which is the another High Republic book, and it is done by Claudia Gray. And obviously I spoke with Claudia Gray in 2020, in December. I interviewed her for the show, which is a lot of fun. But the High Republic era and stuff is something I am going to be tackling over the next couple of months as well, because in, I think it's three months' time, the Afro comics will be completely finished, or they'll be done by next month. The Star Wars main run of comics will be completely finished as well. And I'm going to be embarking, I think, on the 2017 Darth Vader run, the ongoing series of Poe Dameron, which has finished now, also High Republic, and then probably War of the Bounty Hunters. And then when that's all sort of cleared and things, I'll figure out what on earth I'm going to be doing because there are a lot of Star Wars comics at the moment. I think there's probably going to be other mini series that rear their heads as well, but that's the general plan for the future. And yeah, as I said, there will be a book review coming out as well of Into the Dark. I've already done two book reviews. I did the Master and Apprentice book review uh, last year, and I did the Light of the Jedi book review a month or two ago. They are also spoiler free. So if you want to listen to a book review and you don't want it to get spoiled, check them out. I do them in a fairly specific way. I do three tiers. So the first tier is like no spoilers at all. It's just information that you get from basically reading the blurb and maybe like the first few pages of it and just like general thoughts on the book. Then the second tier will be a little bit more information about certain things like very 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 light spoilers but still things that are normally spoken about with press releases and just general internet stuff and then the third tier is a bit more spoilerific i talk about you know the plot a bit more certain characters i enjoy but because the high republic books are so new i won't spoil the whole plot and things i just talk about them in general and i know that a lot of you guys listen to my review of master and apprentice and then you either listen to the audiobook or you bought the book of master and apprentice and i heard a couple of you did the same thing for light of the jedi which was the first high republic book so i am planning on doing into the dark which is the next one and then there's cavern scott's the rising storm which comes out at the end of june as well so i'm finishing into the dark a few weeks before the next one comes out and then i'll be reading that as well and i'll do a book review for that in the coming future as well but as i said there won't be spoilers it's just going to be tears of how much information you want to know about the book reviews so anyway guys aside from that check out my other show Genuine Chit Chat it's on its own feed I've talked to a wide variety of guests recent episodes I've spoken to Goff the Australian blind filmmaker the pop punk band Royals Tom Everett the actor I've, I've had loads of people on the show recently and it's really really cool I've got some really interesting ones lined up as well including a gentleman called Michael McCormick who is actually a puppeteer for Dark Crystal and also for Labyrinth and I'm going to be releasing a video version of that conversation as well because he showed me some of the puppets he used as well so lots of cool things to 
find out. And if you want to find me on social media, obviously it is at Genuine Chit Chat. I post about Star Wars comics in canon, and I also post about Genuine Chit Chat stuff, and also just things about myself and my life a little bit. I put things on my story. Normally, it's just what I'm watching. And so if you're interested by that, check me out on social media and things, and make sure you check out all these other amazing shows on the network of Comics in Motion. And also, I think that when this drops, I should be on the recent episode of What's the Topic, where I talk about the Loki series as well. So make sure you check that out, guys, along with all the other amazing shows on Comics in Motion. And also a nice little thing on the side as well. I do normally name at the end of the Genuine Chit Chat all of the various guest spots I've been in, but I also put it in the show notes of this episode as well as social media links as well. But if you're really desperate to find out all the shows that I've guested on and I'm going to be guesting on, as well as all of the other stuff I've got going on, if you subscribe to my Patreon for, I think it's the second tier, so that's like £2 a month, then you get access to the Patreon feed with pictures and previews of this, that and the other. I put all my future guest lists on there as well future afterthoughts episodes and things like that so plenty of places for you to find me and if you want to listen to my voice even more you've got plenty of avenues to do so but thank you so much for listening guys i really appreciate it especially all the way to the end of this rambling nonsense it's a very long episode because i went on about war of the bounty hunters far too much sorry about that i'll try and make sure i've edited it a little bit better because at the moment it's a bit chunky anyway guys thanks as always for listening i appreciate each and every one of you i'll talk to you next saturday with war of the bounty hunters and as always May the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. Comics in Motion is proud to be sponsored by Renovations Press, home of the world-renowned tracksuit man, the story about traveling to which we can all relate, and something we've all missed this last year. Renovations Press continues to make the decades-long quest to bring quality, independent comics to the masses, with three comics each year featuring the supergroup slash government experiment gone wrong, section 12. Click the link in the show notes for more information about how you can buy some high-quality, independent comics. And stay tuned, because each time a new issue comes out in 2021, Comics in Motion listeners will be eligible to win free copies of section 12. Click that link, check out Lenovations Press, support them on Patreon, you'll be happy you did. What started as just an appearance on Indie Comics Spotlight has turned into an excellent partnership between Comics in Motion and Lenovations Press. We look forward to bringing you some amazing content.